Um, as Jessie said, I'm Rose, and yeah, it's my privilege to share with you guys today. This is actually the second time um, I've given this sermon today, feeling like low-key celebrity preacher. Um, <laughs> when you're like preaching to the masses of like 12 people at Lyle Bay in the morning, so good. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so you guys get, like, hopefully the better version, um, possibly the more confusing, confusing version. I, like, was going through rearranging and um, was showing a few people before. There's some pages that are just, like, six different colours and, like, lines everywhere. So um, hopefully this comes together. So um, who here has their seasonal guide book on them? Does anybody bring that stuff to church? Nah, why would you, eh? It's just got the scriptures in it. All good. Anybody bring a Bible to church? Yeah, oh, good stuff. Amanda, top of the pile. So good. Um, so we're in Isaiah 9 today, and um, I just wanted to start with a little bit of like what kind of sits in and around this book. So this was written um, at a time of a lot of different like public crises going in, on in Jerusalem, largely relating to the rise of the Assyrian Empire. So we'll get some um, image up, which came up when I googled Assyrian Empire. Um, there it is. So um, no idea if that's accurate or not as an image, but that gives you something pretty sort of to look at. Um, so this book is um, both full of like harsh judgment and buoyant promises of hope. In it, the prophet's voice contends um, for Yahweh or God's rule and how... Um, that matters for the way people live. That um, there should be consistency both in the kind of um, order of society and the policies that the rulers are putting in place, the way they're managing things and the way people are living. And we have this book full of prophetic truth-telling where there's warnings issued to the rulers and to the people saying the way you're running the economy um, and the system is not good. There's massive injustice and there are people worshipping the wrong things. And it's not in accord with the way that God um, would call you to live. So these warnings come um, to tell people, change what you're doing and listen to God. And that if you don't, the outcome of that is that there's these rising powers and they're going to take you down. Um, first Assyria and then Babylon. And that'll destroy the city and you'll lose people. And so that's kind of the intense stuff that is woven through the book of Isaiah. And I just wanted to take a moment to kind of talk about that, about God foreseeing that potential destruction and kind of just frame that up around like, what is, where does that leave us around the character of God? Because I know this kind of stuff can be like a bit hard to swallow and, and, and can be like a struggle for us. And so something that's been really helpful for me in considering this is that... Um, I have the experience of giving people advice. Like sometimes I'll um, see something going on in their life and they might be like, what do you think? And I'll be like, ah, oh, I think this. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they will listen to me and like change their behavior. They might choose to take on that advice or they might not. And so kind of at a human level, we get that we can influence, but we can't control things. And so something that I take as like a basic premise with God is that God is good and God is always like really creatively trying to work things out to establish his reign of goodness, his kingdom. Working out these things for glory and it doesn't mean that he inspired or approved bad things but it does mean that he's just going to like work the best he can to make it turn out for good. 
And a way that has been most helpful for me to think about this is the difference between being in charge and being in control. Um, there might not be anyone in the room. Who here is a parent? Nearly. Oh, a little baby hand in the corner there. Yes, Lily. So, Lily can attest to this. Who here is babysat or like had little siblings? Okay. So, when you're babysitting, you're in charge, right? Like the buck stops with you. But it doesn't mean you're in control. You know? Like there's a difference there. And that has been really helpful for me in thinking about the nature of how God is in these kind of situations. God might be in charge in a kind of sovereign sense, but not in control about like how the people respond. So that's what I'm just going to kind of park there um, for a starter. So all throughout the book of Isaiah, um, there's this call for the prophets to um, go and tell the people that unless they change their ways, bad stuff is hitting the fan. Um, and that there's the kind of this awareness that, man, the people are like pretty stubborn and pretty headstrong and like they're probably not going to change their ways, but we're just going to tell them like, guys, please. Um, and that in spite of that, um, out of that destruction that's probably inevitably going to happen, um, God will bring a new hope. Cue the slide change, Nathan. This is just for a few fans in the room. <laughs> and that out of um, this kind of breaking process um, through the conquest of the Assyrians, um, restoration will come and a new hope and a new way will emerge. And that is the scripture we have today. So I will read to you because um, nobody brought their seasonal guidebooks. <laughs> Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and establish over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish. A beautiful piece of scripture. And so I think tonight that the thing that we're going to talk about, yeah. which I, I kind of see resoundingly through the scripture, is hope. And I think God tonight desires to refresh the hope of people and also enlarge our understanding of hope. And so as part of that process of enlarging, um, I'm going to share a little bit of my journey of grappling with things that seem hopeless. So um, about three and a half years ago, I started out 
getting along to Blueprint. And um, one of the first Sundays I got along, there was this quirky guy from Christchurch that was up speaking called Spanky, um, that some of you will know. And he was talking about, um, I guess, his experiences being a chaplain and people asking questions like, how do I keep the darkness at bay? Does anyone else remember this sermon? There's probably not heaps of you that are in the room for this. Yeah. And he was kind of talking about how um, there's like this rife hopelessness um, that kind of sits over society. There's lots of things that go on that make us feel like, oh man, where's the hope? And he was talking about how this kind of interestingly comes out in pop culture in the form of like dystopian movies and how we kind of have this like weird like love-hate relationship with them. And um, in particular, I remember when he talked about it was this movie called Sharknado. Has anyone seen this or heard of this? It's like tornadoes with sharks in it. Like, oh, so bad, so badass. Um, But like, as part of that, he was talking about how um, there's this particular genre of dystopian films um, around like the destruction of the environment. And I was like, had this sinking feeling in my stomach, like, yep, that's me. Like, I find it pretty easy to hope, not easy, but easier to hope, like, at the individual level that God can, like, be at work in people's lives and work transformation. But, like, at this kind of big global systemic level, I was like, I don't know how to be hopeful about that. And so I thought, yeah, why not just dive into that? So for the last two years, I've been um, chipping away at this um, qualification at Vic in environmental studies. And um, just been like taking a really long, hard look at all the ways that the environment is messed up (laughs) and how we have been um, a part of that and how even the nice bits of the environment where we think, oh yeah, like at least that bit's all good, how a lot of those have like dark histories of like indigenous peoples getting tiffed out of those lands and that those spaces are pretty political and like not so nice in a lot of ways. And... um, yeah, that culminated this semester in this paper I was doing about um, mitigating climate change. Shout out to Luca Duckworth in the corner. We were study buddies. Can attest that Luca was just such a good note taker, and I spent a lot of time doing blueprint admin in those classes. Um, but yes, we can probably roll to the next slide. I can't remember where we're up to. Oh yeah. So um, this looks like something out of a dystopian movie, but is actually um, some of the hills in California from the wildfires um, in May this year. Um, Yeah, and there's some crazy wildfires going on there at the moment, I saw this morning in the news, which is kind of an effect of the drought that they, the droughts they've been having. And so I guess um, for me, why climate change feels like a kind of hopeless thing is that um, the way Um, it was talked about at uni as like this threat multiplier. So effectively, like any problems we have right now, like inequality or violence or famine or natural disasters, all of those get like turned up a notch by climate change. Um, So if you're poor, um, and even more so if you live like in low-lying areas, like by the sea or along by a river, that's like a huge problem. And when you're poor, you don't have a lot of choices or agency over your life. So like, Times are just going to get tougher, which is just, like, quite rugged. Um, Yeah, I'm sorry, this is is going to hit a low. Like, this is going to hit a deep low because this is the world we live in. Um, And, like, in the the latest um, intergovernmental panel on climate change report, they were talking about how um, if we get to, like, 
if we, if we hold things at 1.5 degrees warming um, by 2040, that will definitely lead to like severe food shortages and coastal inundations and the displacement of tens of millions of people. That's just what's going to happen, like best case scenario, if we, we hold it at that. And then if we go to two degrees, um, which is like, let's definitely try and stop it there, um, the effects will be like devastating floods and droughts and permanent loss of the world's coral reefs. Which is just so sad because the reefs are so beautiful. Like what is more beautiful than that? So that's just like quite rugged. We can go to the next slide. Um, yeah, this is just lifted straight from Ray Chapman's slides. <laughs> um, yeah, like what if we made it a better world by like actually doing stuff? How about that? Um, you can go to the next slide as well. This is Tuvalu, the main road on an island in Tuvalu getting inundated. And um, there was this like one quote that struck me about how it's just going to be quite a rugged time for emperor penguins to like catch up on like 10 million years of like slow global temperature change in like 100 years. So like probably see you later emperor penguins, which is just very sad. <laughs> and so, yeah, this is the point that I take us to this low of like, this is, this is very sad is because we do live with sad, hard, difficult things in the world. And um, being a Christian isn't about having your head in the sand to those things. But we have to somehow kind of, I guess, get our heads around this stuff. And so um, a kind of funny way that I realised that this was, um, I was experiencing some sort of existential dread around this was that, um, A, I got into a fight with Scotty Reeve at Milk Crate about climate change, so that was a good start, that, you know, maybe this was playing on my emotions quite a lot, and B, I um, had this dream one night that the West Antarctic ice shelf, like, cleaved off, melted immediately, and that all these Pacific Island nations were, like, inundated immediately, and I kind of, like, sat up in bed and was like, blah, and um, I was telling um, Luca in my lecturer about this, and he was like, oh, that's great, Rose, that's just um, he was like, that's where it needs to get to for people. Like, this needs to be real for people. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, cool, all right. That's not the response most people have had to me telling that story. And so I've known I've, I'm going to be speaking on this scripture in Isaiah for like a month or a month and a half. And um, I've also been studying um, and like looking at this stuff. Probably haven't been doing as much study as I should have, granted. Um, but Luca and I had our exam on Wednesday for that course, so um, yeah, and now we're finished, which is so great. Um, yeah, but like trying to think about like Christ as King, this promise of Isaiah of like a light dawning on the people in darkness, and the fact that there are hard things happening in the world with the potential for more hard things to happen, right? There's all of us that live with an element of hopelessness. And it can be scary to kind of like lift the covers off and see and like actually look at that stuff. And all the more to actually acknowledge that stuff and even like talk to God about it. Who can relate to that? Is that like a thing? Like you kind of know there's like a hard space, but you're like too kind of ugh, to talk to God about it. A few people? Yeah. So I mean, some people maybe like that's an okay space. I guess what I... Um, realized is that for me I was like oh I feel comfortable talking to God about situations where I can kind of rationalize hope 
but I avoid talking to God about situations that seem hopeless to me, therefore I kind of just don't go there with God. And that led me to thinking, do I have a robust enough understanding of God's hope? And so, yeah, I think like all of us have spaces where maybe we feel like, ooh, it is quite hard to be hopeful. Whether that's like in a particular like relationship you've got, something that's like quite immediate and at the personal level. Maybe it's, um, I don't know, like the refugee crisis or um, a hope you have to have meaningful work or like physical or mental health. A whole bunch of things. But I think we all have struggles sometimes to have hope. And it can kind of feel scary to like actually acknowledge that. Um, and I think for me anyway, a thing in there is that um, it feels scary because we can't control it and because we can't figure it out. Yeah. If we can't logic it out and we can't kind of like just good vibes it out, um, but we also kind of like can't ignore it because it kind of crops up and like gets you. Um, it's like, what do, you, what do you do about that? And what I want to say is that um, I think we need to enlarge our understanding of hope in order to kind of respond to this. And so I want to say that Christian hope isn't you running the numbers and like sussing the probability. You can probably change slides. Oh yeah, there's hope. There it is. This little stone that says hope. Took that photo this morning. And then, yeah, there it is. This is shout out to um, Esme, who works for study time. <laughs> Lifted from their website. Wanted to get a photo, ideally, of Esme crunching some probability. Put it. Um, so hope isn't you running the numbers, trying to suss the probability of how good something is, and then figuring out, oh, can I be hopeful about this? Hope also, Christian hope isn't also you just like trying to conjure up some good vibes from somewhere like deep in the pit of yourself. Christian hope is a deep trust in the goodness and the persistence of God. Our hope is founded upon the commitment of Christ to bring his reign of peace. Our hope is founded on God's relentless commitment to bring his kingdom. And so in these places of hopelessness, be they ones that you openly acknowledge before God, or be they places that you want to hide from God and from other people, I think God wants to enlarge our perception of hope. This year, a theme we've been kind of exploring at Blueprint is um, to be reconciled to God and to one another, and have all parts of our lives seen by God, including the dark corners, including the hopeless places, um, which are full of fear. And I think the reason we can do that is because we trust that God can make a way through these things. That this promise that was spoken in Isaiah didn't just end there. That Christ came to earth, wonderful counsellor, prince of peace. And so even when the chips are down in other places, even if people are unfaithful to their word um, or things look like extremely rugged, God is faithful to sticking with us. We were talking at Lao Bay this morning about how today is Armistice Day, which is, was that, 100 years from the end of... Yeah. Yeah, great, there it is. And so we were talking about a little, just reflecting on how 
that would have been a place where people would have found it hard to be hopeful that things were ever going to change there. And obviously, very, very bad times. But um, it, that, that time of war did end. And so just thinking, um, yeah, just reflecting on that, how things change. So God is faithful to sticking with this world that he has created. And I, like, I guess you have the choice, right, at some point about, like, what you kind of hedge your bets on. I'm just like, this is what my hope is in. That God um, has created this world and is just relentless in pursuing its restoration. We have been given a wonderful counsellor, a prince of peace, who is establishing a kingdom built from peace and has invited us to be its citizens. And it's from this place of knowing that we are beloved citizens. We are beloved citizens of this kingdom of hope that we can approach the situations that just seem too rugged to approach otherwise. In Romans 8 it says, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. We ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit and we groan inwardly as we await the adoption of sonship and daughtership and the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And I would add to that, boldly and courageously. And in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we don't know what we ought to pray, and as I said, like there are spaces in my life where I'm like, I do not know where I ought to, what I ought to pray. How can I talk about this? The Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And I've come to rely on that more and more um, in these places where I can't get the words. And he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? <laughs> so good. Nakedness. No. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That was a long passage to read out. Yep, you got it, Nigel. So this is the bold hope we have. 
that in spite of the odds, there is this powerful and good and committed God who came to earth as Christ and who has started establishing this kingdom of peace and justice and who invites us to be citizens. This is our hope. As I said before, Christian hope isn't us um, running the odds. It's not probability. Christian hope isn't conjuring up good vibes. It's also not just pretending nothing bad is happening. Christian hope is deep trust in the goodness and the persistence of God. And so um, in my room, I have a skylight. And um, mostly that's quite annoying because I'm kind of like a bit sensitive to light. I find it hard to sleep if it's light. Um, but sometimes when I want to wake up early, I just like um, don't put up. You guys know those like foldy things that sit in the front of cars that stop them getting like too hot? I have one of those that I like stick to my window. That's like my curtain for the skylight. And um, I just don't put that up if I want to wake up early because the light comes in. And this morning, um, really early, it was raining a little bit, but you could also, through the rain, see like kind of blue sky. And I was, it struck me, as I woke up, that this is kind of what the kingdom is like. It's like a sun shower. It's both raining, but you can see the sun. And you can see the blue skies. And that's kind of what it's like living in the reality of right now. We're still getting rained on, but we can see the sun. But the sun hasn't fully kind of boosted out the clouds. It's not all the light. Just a metaphor that might work for you or not. And so, man, this is one of those wild, many coloured bits. Yeah. I think our capacity to face up to the, the gnarly bad things that are going on in the world um, is deepened and widened um, by this understanding of our identity as citizens of God's kingdom of hope. From this place of knowing this hope, we are called by God to contend for this kingdom of hope and to contend for this in action and in prayer, to contend for the reality of God's hopeful kingdom Yeah. And um, for those of you who were here last week, Gina was talking about how each of us will have, like, I guess, a mountain of sorts that we face. And um, an image that she brought is this quote from Shane Claiborne about how sometimes we'll say to God, oh, God, there's this mountain. Would you move the mountain? And um, God will, like, answer that prayer sometimes by giving us a shovel. And... Um, as she was talking about that, I was thinking about how, um, for me, like the mountain that's like really in the way that I'm like, uh, is climate change. And how I'm called to shovel in action, which means <laughs> eating less meat, driving the car less, um, advocating for things, learning, petitioning, um, generally going against a lot of my convenience because unfortunately a lot of our systems are kind of built on fossil fuels. Um, yeah, and that, that I need to, um, I guess, respond in action. I need to shovel. 
But then I also need to shovel in prayer. And I guess I've become aware in the last little while that actually I don't really talk to God about this because it freaks the shit out of me. And I'm not just called um, to acknowledge that before God, but to like actually advocate. And we are um, called in the Bible to pray for our enemies. And so this week, I was like, I'm going to pray for Donald Trump. And I'm going to pray for the leaders of like big oil and like <laughs> lots of people who I just don't really understand. Um, but I'm like, man, prayer is powerful. So who knows? I can daydream about like vigilante justice of like taking all the rubbish that like big corporations generate and like filling up the mansions of the wealthy people with that rubbish. Like I just love to be able to somehow like be so mean, like to, to show up and be like, bomb, problems you're creating. How's that? And but I like if our God is a God of justice. The way that we get justice is through prayer. We are called to love our enemies and to pray for them. And I have been trying to do that. (laughs) As well as doing other stuff. And so I guess to kind of round this out, I urge you guys to take up your identity as citizens of the kingdom of hope. And... um, A little analogy I used this morning in Lao Bay was um, off the back of a yarn that Lauren spun me once, which was when she went to, um, Lauren works at the library, which is part of the city council, and so she got along to one of those like emergency emergency management thingies once. And they were talking about how um, before a flood, like a good, I mean before a flood, before heavy rain, like a really good thing to do is to like clear out your spouting and like check that the drains and stuff can like flow freely. And how um, they like, the council's like, we can't get around everyone's drains. You guys like need to just have a look at your drains and like maybe kind of join us in, in getting prepared if big rain is coming. But how like often people don't, and so they're just like, the council didn't fix my drain and then my house got flooded and wow. And so they were like, please. Join us in doing this. And they were like, the old people get it. The old people don't have this entitlement mentality of like, oh, the council didn't fix my drain. They're just like, oh, I'm just going to go sweep up those leaves so the water can get away, of course. And how, I was like, that's kind of what we're called to do. Like, we're called to see the leaves, respond with how we can, um, and be part of this bigger team. Don't know if this floats anyone's boat. It's just a a thought that came to me. Um, Yeah. So the world needs us to put all our weight behind making good choices by being brave and sacrificing our own comfort and loving people with all the strength we have. What we do and how we live matters. Jesus did not say to the disciples, yo, I'm off to heaven. You guys just take it easy. Head back to your boats, do a bit of fishing. I'll be back later. He said to them, Go out into the world and live out this radical gospel, which is good news to the poor, as healing for the sick and as justice for those who are oppressed. And we are called to do the same. And we're called to live that in action as well as prayer. We have to contend in prayer because prayer changes stuff. And I think in this community this year, my um, faith in what prayer can do has definitely been enlarged. 
Um, the resources of my own life are not enough. Um, I need to be working in the power of the Spirit. And prayer is a powerful way to see stuff happen um, for the will and way of God's kingdom to be enabled. So I just want to read this little bit from, I think it's Philippians, about prayer. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the centre of your life. And so tonight, my prayer is that your view of hope will be enlarged because hope isn't just about the optimism you can have or the logic you hold. It's about the persistence of a God that loves us and is committed to us in this world. And my prayer is that um, in those spaces of hopelessness, you would take up your identity as beloved citizens of the kingdom of hope. And with that, I don't know if there's more slides. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, Esme sent me the challenge of summarising this for the haiku. And I thought that maybe the vibe would still be heavy after me talking about climate change. And so I did make a haiku. Um, which Lauren pointed out to me is actually not completely accurate. There's one too many syllables on endures. So just change that to holds. But here's the haiku. Oh, true. Okay. <laughs> I just thought it was powerful enough to stand alone. Okay. A haiku. Hope is not about probability perceived. Christ's commitment holds. So we too contend for a kingdom reign of peace through action and prayer. Amen.